Welcome to Foothills Youth Podcast, where we help people follow Jesus. I hope these resources are a blessing to you. We are a student ministry based out of Northwest Calgary, and our hope, our desire, is that we see students become resilient disciples in a post-Christian nation. So may this podcast just be a blessing to you in your journey. Um, so for tonight, we're talking about, uh, well, a couple of things. We have some questions. Is uh, relationships with non-Christians, specifically romantic relationships. Uh, we're talking about unequally yoked relationships, uh, modern Christian relationships, what that could look like. Uh, you ask, what does a healthy relationship look like? And uh, a great question, do women have to be submissive to their husbands? I'm really excited to give you that answer. It's no. <laughs> but I will explain what I mean by that. Um, and I'll tell you a funny story. And then... Uh, didn't go so well for me. Um, and then divorce and marriage and separation in the church, which is a very real thing and a very real issue. Uh, and there is some baggage uh, when it comes to that. So what does the Bible say about being in a, non- or being in a relationship with a non-Christian? Well, this is the closest thing that uh, the Bible references outside of the Old Testament in talking about uh, the Israelites marrying or intermarrying with, um, with other nations in and around uh, where they had been at that particular time. But Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 14. And it says, Do not become partners with those who don't believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? And who Belial is is a god of the Corinthians. Um, and, or an idol, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So, the answer to the question is that it's messy. The answer to the question uh, when it comes to this unequally yoked conversation, because I've talked to a lot of people. I, I, I Growing up in high school, I, I dated non-Christians, and, and I know of, of families who, mom's a Christian, dad's not. Dad's a Christian, mom's not. Um, and, and when we look at this, it's easy for people outside of those situations who have no experience, who have no any sort of relationship with somebody in that context to just say, oh yeah, you're not supposed to. But what do you say to the people who are? What do you say to the people who have made vows to somebody who doesn't share your belief? What do you say to the people who are in, for all intents and purposes, happy, healthy marriages but one person shares their faith and the other, one holds their faith and the other doesn't. It's, it's, it's complicated, it's messy. Um, and I know none of us student-wise are, are looking to get married right now, at least as far as I know. Um, but so it, it looks more in, in, in the dating context. So here's, here's what I will say when it comes to dating. And when you hold your faith important in your life and following Jesus is incredibly important to you. And Choosing and deciding to go into a relationship with somebody who doesn't hold the same, um, same beliefs, same priorities. Uh, we used to call it flirt to convert. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but do they still call it that? Okay, good. That's good. I'm still in the time sense. What I will say is that it's just very hard. It's very difficult in the sense that when two people... One who holds something very important. It's not just faith. 
So when it comes to somebody who wants to have kids and doesn't want to have kids, there's an area of conflict. When there's, there's somebody who, um, you know, taking into last week, thinks that abortion is okay or, or you know, the other pro-choice and pro-life. Maybe you've got two people in a relationship. There's a point of contention. When you have two very big points of contention in a relationship, not even just romantically, but specifically romantically, and when we get into the conversation, it's really, really hard. Because if you believe in Jesus and you believe that he changed your life and you want to live that way, and you think that Buddy or, or Mrs. should too, but they don't hold that, there's going to be some conflict, right? So let me give you a biblical example of what, what can happen when this sort of thing comes around. Uh, so if you look at the King Solomon, wisest dude, as they said, he asked God, said, what do you want? I'll give you anything. And he said, please give me wisdom. Um, he married a lot of women, which A, first problem. Um, <laughs> but he married a lot of women, for, and this isn't to blame women. This is literally Bible story. I'm not making any sort of suggestions here. But um, a, a lot of women from different countries and different beliefs. What happened to Solomon? Solomon made some compromises, and he compromised in his faith, and closer to the end, he, he had sort of stepped away from his um, dedication in following God. Why does that happen? Because Mrs. said, hey, you should do this. No. It comes down to a greater love. It comes down to who or what do you love more. And that's not to put, I'm not saying I, God is in competition with Nicole in my context but my relationship with Jesus is inc it, it, it is more vital to my life to my soul to my eternity than my relationship with Nicole is and that's not to put my relationship with Nicole down my relationship with Nicole is the most earthly relationship that I have but if we share two different faiths I have it doesn't matter where you come you have to make a choice and that doesn't mean the relationship's over, but it can get messy. What happens is, is exceptions have to be made. Compromises, when you both believe something different, when it comes to the area of sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever it is, you got to make a choice, right? And it's hard. It, it, it's very messy. Now, Ruth is an exception to this rule. Now, Ruth was the... Was the non-Christian in the relationship. Now, her husband died because he got sick, but look what happens with her. She decides to follow God, and she ends up actually being a part of the family line of Jesus, which is amazing and great, and it shows that, um, it shows that God does redeem and does save. But it, intimacy is really, really difficult without spiritual unity. That's, that's the bottom line. If you're going to take anything out of this, intimacy with another human being is incredibly difficult without spiritual unity. I, I, I have heard, seen, had discussions with people who are in marriages, dating relationships, where this is the, this is the case. And I've I found more so in the marriages, it's really hard on the person who believes and when, when, they're, when they're, their partner, their, their, their other doesn't. It's extremely hard for them. I've, I've sat and watched tears after tears because there's just, there's no sharing here. So it just makes things 
very hard. Our lives are meant to be a place of worship to God. We're, our existence is to enjoy God, know God, and all that he has to bring in our lives and to give him glory. And it's where we make compromise has a lot to play in that. So what? So then, then the question is, okay, so what does a healthy relationship look like? So uh, if, if this is, uh, sorry, if this is your story, stepping aside for a second, and you're in a relationship with a, a non-Christian, this isn't condemnation. I'm not here to say, what are you doing with your life? Like, get your stuff in order, like, that sort of thing. It's good to start thinking about this, though. Yes, you're in high school, but farther down the line, if this is, if your faith is important to you, you got to start asking questions as, A, do I have that conversation with the other person? Or what's going to happen when we get to a place where this might get a little more serious and this might become an issue? You just got to start asking yourself questions. That's just the reality of the, que- of the situation. So what does a good relationship look like? Well, I've been married now for almost seven years. I have a baby on the way. We have a dog. Things look great, right? Like, it's not, it's not easy. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to point to God, and then I'm going to explain why. So if you look at the Trinity, God says, or John says, that God is love. So, which means that he has always loved God. God has always loved, before creation and before time. But who has he loved then? It's this relationship between the three members of the Trinity. Loved one another perfectly for all eternity, which sort of gives a motivation for creation. Didn't mean to rhyme. Now, the life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. Self-giving love, it's this giving of oneself for somebody else. Now, if love is at the center of God's nature, the love God has for each other, he has poured out to us in our creation and redemption. So that's why Jesus comes and he dies and he rises again for us. That's why he does what he does for his creation is out of this self-giving love. We, as humanity, were made for mutually self-giving, other-directed love. Self-centeredness actually destroys the fabric of what God has made and why he's made it. Like, when you're all about number one, you, it makes everything messy. It doesn't matter if you're in a romantic relationship or not. When you are the most important person in your life, that just causes problems. So self-giving love is the mark of a healthy relationship. Now, does that mean you do what the other person says? No. (laughs) But it means that you're willing, at the cost of yourself, willing to do what it takes in order for that person to know, to experience, to see the love that you have, that you have chosen to give for that person. And I use the L word only because that's literally what this is. It's not just like, it's love. Um, And so let let, let me give you a story. What I have experienced in my own relationship is that, and I don't use to, I, I don't say this to say, you all need to get married, this is what you're supposed to do. I'm saying this is because you asked the question, <laughs> and I think I have a relatively healthy relationship. Um, so what self-giving love looks like for me, I'm incredibly selfish. So I enjoy the odd video game. Um, it's just, I like 2K, like that's my thing. I can jump on there, play a quick game, whatever it is. Um, and, uh, and, and on all my, my days off, and my Monday morning, I'm usually up first, I'm awake, uh, I like to have my time by myself, um, drinking coffee, whatever, playing some video games, however it looks. 
Um, I don't like giving up that time. I don't like sacrificing that time. And Nicole is a quality time person. So for those of you in the room who are quality time people, if somebody says, I don't want to do that, when, they, when you ask if they want to, if, if you ask somebody, hey, do you want to go do this? And they say no, but you hear that as I don't want to hang out with you, you're probably a quality time person. Um, and so I will say, I don't want to do that. And what Nicole hears is, I don't want to do that with you. Now, that's not what I'm saying, but that's what she's hearing, and that's what I'm communicating in the way that I communicate it. Self-giving love doesn't mean I can't do what I want, but it means that I'm willing to put aside what I want in order for her to feel loved. So, if you want a great example of this, look at Jesus in the garden. When he's about to go to the cross, and he asks the Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Like, he doesn't want to be crucified. Fair enough. It's extraordinarily painful. It's an, un, it's an excruciating death. But he is there. And he sacrificed, this is an understatement, his own comfort and his own life for those that he loved. That is the greatest expression of self-giving love that I know. So, then... Communication is also key. Now, brutal honesty, maybe not always the best way to go about it. I've heard some, okay, one thing. This is, just, this is totally beside the point. If you are in a relationship and you want to break up with the person that you are in a relationship with, please do not text them and tell them that. <laughs> please, as a youth pastor, I ask you, just have the courage and say it to their face. It's more respectful, honestly, and it doesn't do anybody any favors, okay? So, communication is key. Being honest, like, y if you like somebody, but you want them to like you at all costs, so you're willing to, you know, be somebody different in order for them to like you, what will happen is eventually you'll get close enough and they will find out whether you tell them or not that that's actually not, not true. So you need to be willing to tell the truth all the time, even if it costs you your, you know, your image, your relationship when it comes to sin issues, when it comes to stuff that you've done against the other person. Because otherwise, it will just blow up in your face and it will be incredibly messy. Now, do women have to be submissive to their husbands? Hmm. Uh, where people get that question from is Ephesians 5.22, when it says husbands, or wives submit to your husbands, and husbands will love your wives. Uh, some, word, some translations use the word respect. Now, the love that they use is the word agape. That's a beautiful definition of the word love, where it is giving oneself to for the sake of somebody else. It's, oh, it's just this, this incredible self-giving love that we're talking about. So, love and respect. How does this work? So, I'm not going to put... I know not everybody falls in two categories. I'm, I, I, I'm, I know that enough. But here's what I have learned in my 28 years of hanging out with guys and girls. Um, women are very good in perfect and healthy circumstances when, um, when I, in the face of wounds and backstories, I get that this is not always the case. But the greatest thing that a woman needs, in my experience, is to be shown that they are loved. And if, girls, you disagree with me on this, feel free to argue. Even here, you can say, no, you're wrong, that's okay, and I will completely change my talk. 
but this is what I've learned in, in marriage. This is what I've learned in my study. This is what I've learned in my experience. What do I mean by that? There's this thing called pursuit. This is, this is an inequality thing. This is by no means an equality thing. I believe that women and men are completely equal. But women need to be shown that they are worth loving. And I think that is the deepest desire of every woman's heart, whether they realize it or not. That they are worth the pursuit. They are worth the effort. Guys, I'm giving you great dating advice right now. So like, <laughs> if you like have any sort of interest, you need to be writing this down. Um, this is the deepest desire of a woman's heart. Guys, literally, this is not to be manipulated. Because it is. It's incredibly, like the one night stand, this is like I have such a I have such a hard time with this because guys show that pursuit of love until they get what they want and then it's gone. And then they've got one they needed, so they're out. But they use that deepest desire, that deepest need of a woman's heart for their own selfish and personal gain. And guys, what ladies, <laughs> what guys need is to be shown that they are respected. They need to be shown, and I don't mean it in like, look how great you are. <laughs> because trust me, I've tried to get Nicole to submit, and it doesn't work. <laughs> That's a joke. That I did not. I would be dead. I wouldn't be standing here before you. Um, but I, like, if I took this like, wife submit to your husband things literally, and I tried that in my marriage, I probably wouldn't wake up in the morning. Like, she's lovely and amazing, and but. She's a strong, independent woman. So what the deepest need for every guy's heart and soul, and you see this in the way that guys interact with each other. Girls, pay attention. I'm giving you some like pretty deep insight here, even if the guys don't know this, is that you see, you watch the way that they interact. What are they looking for? We're looking for guys to acknowledge us, other guys, in a level of respect. And you see it in the way that friend groups are formed. You see it in the way that relationships are formed. You, you know why guys aren't always necessarily the same way when they hang out with you as they are with their buddies? It's because if they hang out and they interact with their buddies like they do with you, the respect is gone. And for a guy, that is devastating. That's a sacrifice we're not always willing to make. So this unique balance is we both have this deep-seated need. How do we handle that? Guys, you got to be willing to put her first at the, sa at, the, at, the, at the risk and at the sacrifice of yourself because they need to be worth that pursuit. And ladies, you need to be willing to show that they're worth your respect. But guys, you gotta, be, you gotta earn it, <laughs> too. There's, there's, this is a two-way street. Now, when does this not go right? What happens when this goes really, really wrong and we see divorce and separation in the church? I, I have a few family members who have gone through this and, and, and it's painful. I have had friends already, peers, that I was, I, I, we are the same age, we got married around the same time, and they're no longer together. And it's, it's hard to watch, but it's so messy that there needs to be an incredible amount of grace. 
because if we look at the greatest relationship break in history, that is in the garden with Adam and Eve, and we sinned, and we, there was this now separation between us and God. And what does God do? He takes the initiative to redeem. We need to be willing to share and extend that same grace with those in the church who are hurt, who are wounded, who need the love that only Christ can show. It, it, divorce affects the whole family. There's conversations of where, does, where do kids stay, where, who does the kids live with, you know, whose church is this? I, in some of my own experiences, that's literally been the question. Okay, so this is our church, this is my church, and then the other person, that's your church, and we just don't cross, we just don't step into the same building. It, it's just, it's so messy. And the Bible talks about the only grounds for divorce is that of marital unfaithfulness in, in Matthew 5.32. Does that mean that as soon as you're unfaithful that you need to divorce? Absolutely not. No, no, no. But there needs to be so much grace because some of us in the room, this is story of mom and dad. This is story of uncle, aunt, friends. This is This is the story of of close people in our, our proximity. And we need to be willing to just let them come as they are. And that, that just is kind of with all brokenness. So let me just, again, just an aside. If you're here and you're like, man, I almost didn't come to youth tonight because I was worried that if people knew my story or my family life or my sin or whatever, like, I, I, don't, I don't care what it is your sexual inclination, I, I don't care what it is, you are welcome here. And for those of us who may not have that story right now, I want you to say, I, I, I want you to know something. I don't ever want to be a place that somebody never comes back to because they were in a moment of vulnerability, shared and expressed a part of their story, and in turn, they were rejected there was a lack of grace, there was insult, there was mocking, whatever it is. I don't want that to be this place. I want this place to be, to emulate the presence and the love of Jesus in everything that we do and how we act and how we live with one another. Romantic relationships, friendships, whatever it is. That needs to be this place. So bottom line, relationships are messy. <laughs> we are not great at them. We are not perfect at them. So if you get nothing else from this, this is all I want you to get. Is that the love that God exemplifies in this self-giving love, this is the love we need to pursue. His love and then live that out ourselves. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for your self-giving love and coming and dying and living on, uh, on this earth. And now you sit at the right hand of the Father. And For those of us who call you Lord, you indwell us by the power of your Holy Spirit. You are with us. You've given yourself for us and we thank you. There are stories of relational brokenness in this room, Lord. Whether it be parents, whether it be friends, God, whether it be romantic relationships. I pray for healing now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would reveal yourself by your power and your presence, Lord, that these people would know how close you are, your self-giving love for them, and that this would be a place that exemplifies the love of Christ. So, Lord, we give you our stories. 
We give you our time. We give you our energy, Lord. We give you ourselves. We ask your will be done. Your kingdom come. Here on earth, in our lives, as it is in heaven.